Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're continuing our character class discussions with the bad guy bashing, street fight starting, and everyone's favorite drunk tavern brawler, the fighter. I'm Chad, and tonight I'm talking with Beth. Hello. And David. Hey, everyone. Sarah couldn't be with us tonight, but I'm sure she would appreciate it if you let her know just how much worse this episode is for her not being in it. 100%. (laughs) Uh, Before we actually go into Fighter, though, Beth had something interesting to let you all know. I did. So, a couple episodes ago, and this has been going on the forums, too, I mentioned that the resolution of the Paizo maps was really low, and that they were talking about updating it. Well, two things. One, they're still talking about making their map experience better, especially for the PDF that you get Whenever you order the APs, the interactive maps, they are talking about making those better, which they're pretty great. Don't get me wrong. However, they updated the Extinction Curse maps because they were actually uh, uploaded to the website with the wrong resolution. So if you have Extinction Curse and you have already downloaded your maps, because I know I have, for the first, I think it was three of them, um, I had to go re-download them. So please do that. You'll find that your resolution is a hundred times better. So please, please, please do that. And again, like I said, they're still continuing to talk about what they can do to make the map experience better. Uh, And just one more thing that, I don't know, this might not take very long to talk about, but uh, there's a little thing that came out recently in Game Trade magazine. Uh, They recently had a little release about uh, the Advanced Player's Guide. I don't know if any of you have ever heard about this. Advanced Player's Guide? I'm sure lots of people have. Are you sure? Game Trade magazine? Mm. (laughs) No, that's just rude. Game Trade Magazine okay. is a uh, industry trade magazine that's very well known, and they do have a few articles, such like this expose on the Advanced Players Guide for new releases of big games. Um, you will also find that there are a bunch of things for new board games coming out. This was posted to the forums. We're going to put a link in the description, uh, but it just gives us confirmation of things that we had guessed. And then a few things that we didn't know yet, including a summary of the Dampier. So I thought we'd talk about it a little bit. See, they definitely talked a little bit about the upcoming classes, which we've already broken down a bit, a good bit in here. Correct. Uh, So the Advanced Players Guide is going to come with four classes. The one that I am most excited about, which I didn't know this. This could be because I'm living under a rock. So just be aware of that. But I didn't know that they were going to have access to all four traditions of magic. This is very new uh, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. One, the magic traditions weren't broken down like they were. And two, they were an arcane 
spell class. So the fact that you are going to be a divine witch is really cool. The idea that your patron can be uh, something of an occult nature. Obviously, that makes sense to me. Like, witches and mm-hmm. occult. But uh, divine, arcane, and primal. Like, a primal witch just sounds so cool. The old forest witch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's going to be really great. Um they also talked about the ancestry and heritage options, which mm-hmm. really is exciting. So we had a list in the product description on Pezzo's website, but it didn't say who was going to be an actual ancestry and who was going to be a heritage. So now we have confirmation that the new ancestries are going to be catfolk, kobolds, orcs, Rack, rat, folk, and tengu. So that's pretty great. And then they are introducing a new concept, which I'll get into that in a second, but they're called versatile heritages. They're releasing changelings, dampiers, which they gave us a preview of. They're also releasing the Azimar, tieflings, and duskwalkers. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the versatile heritage thing because they've actually alluded to this before. They had mentioned they had mentioned that half orc and half elf could potentially be taken by other ancestries other than human. But they it was more of like a one-off sentence in a paragraph in the human section. But this versatile heritage thing really sounds like, to me, the same type of thing mm-hmm. as a half-elf or a, a half-orc. So, that's pretty good. Uh, of course, they're going to have a bunch of options for those. Uh. They're also, they said that they're releasing a bunch of archetypes, which we knew about that already. Uh, But it's good to get a confirmation. Uh, It looks like it's going to be about 40. And uh, one of those archetypes is going to be Cavalier. Now, the reason I bring this up that I thought was interesting is the Cavalier was its own class in Pathfinder 1. So now it's going to be an archetype that can be taken by all different classes. Wasn't the Cavalier listed as an archetype in the playtest? It may have been, and I just didn't uh, pay attention. Yeah, the I can remember it was just a really small section mm-hmm. at the end of the classes. Did it have Vigilante too? Am I misremembering that? No, there there was. You give me a bit, I'll find out. There was Cavalier, and there was something that seems similar, I think, to the Swashbuckler, but it had a different name. And then might be the Vigilante. Maybe. Maybe. And that there was, I think, there was a third, but we didn't play him in our game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of us did. Yeah, I did like uh, 
with a note about they're adding a super-powered key form for the monks. I knew you'd like that. Your spell level is over 9,000. No, it's just over 9,000. And uh, it also looks like they're going to add some more stuff to animal companions and familiars. Yeah. And in the thread that we're going to link, I saw one of the design managers, uh, Mark Seifter, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He mentioned that people are, he, he thinks that people are really going to like these, uh, that they're really fun and cool and have seen some unique abilities. So that's cool. I am excited for that. Yeah, maybe uh, Sebastian will get a few upgrades. Yeah. If, if you'll allow it, oh, benevolent GM. We'll see. We'll, we'll figure it out. Chad, what do you got for us? Uh, we have the Pathfinder playtest archetypes. And listed here is the Cavalier. Let's see, Grey Maiden, which I'd want to see what that one would have been like. Pirate. Pirate. Yeah, which is, of course, going to be similar probably to the Swashbuckler. And that looks like it, except for, of course, the multi-classing ones. And that is actually listed in the Advancement and Options section of Playtest. So there you go, Cavalier back from the dead. <laughs> nice. So the other thing that they gave was a preview of the Dampier. Now, I will say that I found a disclaimer on the forums that there have been some changes since this was published. So this is not 100% how it's going to be in the Advanced Player's Guide. Please tell me they have new artwork for it. So <laughs> that's the first thing that we wanted to talk about. It is not my favorite piece of artwork. It's not horrible. It's no. Not the worst thing I've ever seen. So it is a person who looks like a statue. Everything about them is white. Um, their skin, their eyes, their hair, everything. And they're dressed in a very pompous, uh, bright green uh, suit with a, uh, it's not a tie. Cravat, polo tie, sort of cravats. I don't know. Whatever it is, it looks stupid. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. <laughs> but uh, he, he definitely looks like a scholarly fellow. Yes, he looks like he's going to tell you to go sit and time out. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. But it gives us a little bit about the history of the Dampiers. Uh sort of how they integrate with society. These are generalizations. Obviously, you know, you play your character how you want. But then the interesting part that I thought was they gave us a list of feats. And there are some pretty tasty options. Chad, I know you had a favorite. I mean, this is a fairly late level one, but uh, let's see. Form of the bat. You can just transform into a harmless bat. But I freaking love that stuff. <laughs> Come on. I, I, I get to be a part druid right then and there. 
Come on. 13th level. That's the only bad part. But get to turn into a bat. That's pretty great. That is pretty great. Uh, another one, uh, level one feat, is that you get a bite attack. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and then the fifth level feat that I really liked was enthralling allure, which allows you <laughs> to cast a charm at, uh, once per day. Uh, yeah, once per day as a first level defi- divine innate spell. Ninth so. level night magic. You can mm-hmm. ter- use the gain animal form, which only works for to turn you into a wolf. But that's pretty great. Uh, you can also mm-hmm. turn into an obscuring mist. So that's pretty great too, guys. I just want to change into things. Yeah, I just want to change yeah. into other things. That that is pretty cool, though. So, like, if you took that at ninth level and then took form of the bat at thirteenth level, like you can turn into a wolf, then you can turn into mist, and then you can turn into a bat. The Just advantage of the, the heck out of your enemies. right the <laughs> the advantage of the form of the bat is that it is a a one le- a one action spell. Ooh, that's nice. So, so like you, you need like, to get rid of, the heck out of there. You need to get away and you need to get away fast. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Of course the obscuring mist could also kind of do that, couldn't it? I think that's more than one. Let's look up how many actions that is. Yeah. No, it's three. Oh. Okay, yeah. no, bat form is way better. But anyway, yeah, it's it looks really good. We'll definitely put a link in the description. Go check it out. The artwork that they include is really great. Uh, I really love the shield maiden that they have on the first page of the expose. Like, she looks so cool and so, like, ass-kicking. That's the only way I can come up with it. That's the way I was going to describe the tiefling on the second page of that article. See, that tiefling will leave you in the street, like, <laughs> bleeding to death. Yes. The shield maiden will just freaking kick your butt anywhere. It's true, though. It's absolutely true. So, yeah. It's pretty exciting. I'm really happy. I can't wait till June. Same. <laughs> I'm positive there's a lot of re- reasons that a lot of us can't wait till June. Oh. Okay. Fair. Uh, um, that's geez. not what this podcast is about. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Had to bring had to bring real life into this. How rude! Way to go, Beth. Uh, also, just want to note, I'm looking forward to some Tengu. All right, like that Tengu I action. See some Tengu. Now, you had actually mentioned something that there's a. Uh, race in D and D that's very similar, right? Yeah. The, they have the Kinku, which is basically a raven human person, a mm. raven raven human person, a raven <laughs> human ancestry. Um, and they're they're very similar. I uh, did not know that actually, because I know very little about D and D. 
that was actually my first character, and so I had a lot of fun with that. My, the, the reason I brought it up earlier to Beth was because the the name Tengu, I know it has orig, it originates from like I don't know either Japanese or Chinese. It's lore Japanese. And, okay, mm-hmm. Japanese. Uh, but I, for some reason, the only way re- form I can ever think of when I hear t- the word Tengu is the bird warriors from the first Power Rangers movie. <laughs> yeah, and then and he sent me a picture the of them. Funniest looking things. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I, I can't take them seriously after that. I cannot. I'm sorry, guys. That's a callback. Wow. It is. Aging yourself a little bit. I don't care. No, I, I remember watching that on you know, cable television back in the day. I think I watched that in the theaters. Wow. <laughs> I can admit it. Oh, the 90s. <laughs> well, anyway, why don't we get away from that horrific image to talk about the fighter. An even more horrific image. No. Oh, I'm sorry. They're, they're very bland. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, let's talk about the class fantasy of a fighter, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. <clears throat> hold on, hold on. Hold on. <clears throat> mm, I pick up stick. Mm. I want hit. Mm, I want hit stuff. I will crush. Oh, jeez. How, how's that? That was good. Very good. I think that's uh, our historical context. We did it, guys. <laughs> we did the entire episode. Fighter. Play it sometime. Pick up a no. stick and hit stuff in your own game. <laughs> Fighter is one of those things that gets, uh, I think, a bad rap because that's what you think of, right? Hit things. Hit things hard. You hit things good. I'm proud of you. Like, that's it. Hit it. And so, like, when we're talking about historical context of a fighter, that's literally everybody. Like, everyone had fighters. And I think that uh, one of the things that I always think about is World of Warcraft. Actually, there's there's my there's my uh, fantasy for it. Every race in World of Warcraft gets access to warrior. All of them, because everybody has them. Everybody has the ability to pick up a weapon and a shield and bash things. And if they didn't know they had that ability, they'll find out. Trust me, they'll figure it out. Uh, but I also think. That when we're talking about sort of the fantasy of a class, this is something that's really easy entry, right? Like, you pick up sword, pick up shield. There's no magic involved. There's very little of a learning curve, right? You can really focus on learning the system versus learning all these extra things about magic. And the spells that you have to cast. And your alchemy book. There's none of that. All you need to know is I have sword. I have shield. Bam, bam, bam. I'm good to go. Mm. Very easy for a new player. 
can it get more complicated? Absolutely. You can build the fighter because it's very versatile. You can build it into whatever type of fighter you want. But I think when we're talking about the fantasy of a class, that's something that newer players can really get behind. I can do this without learning a ton of extra stuff. Yeah, and it makes for um, creation of you know, pretty easy backstory as well because you don't need to have anything special. You can come from a farm, come from a city. Your parents can be alive. They could be dead. It doesn't matter. You just... You wanted to join the guard. You wanted to go off on an adventure, and you just mm-hmm. you bought a sword and some leather armor. Suddenly, yeah. you became Luke Skywalker. Would Luke Skywalker be considered a fighter? I mean, why not? Uh, he was a farmer, and he learned to swing a stick, a glowing stick, but he learned to swing a stick. Eventually, he learned more magic stuff. Sure. But it was initially he, he multi-classed. Yes, he multi-classed into a uh, cleric. <laughs> he, he took that archetype multi-class. That's right. Jedi's are monks, and I will die on this hill. <laughs> Fair. I mean, yes, original Jedi. I mean, okay, episodes. This can go off topic. Episodes one through three, monks. Episodes four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Kind of like. I don't know. It's a really broken mon- monastic order. So, all right. Well, we're getting off that topic because that's <laughs> open a whole can of worms. I don't know nothing about. I do want to mention Captain America because Captain America is a really good idea, right? Of a fighter for justice, but doesn't have like that religious nature to it. Like a uh, champion might has the shield, obviously, uh, but then also punches things. He hit people with a rock instead of a stick, though. He hits them with his fists. (laughs) And, you know, his adamantine shield. I think that when we get down to the actual fighter in a fantasy setting such as this, we're talking about, like, sure, you start off as dude with stick, But then as you level up, you become the best of the best, right? You become a superhero. You become something that exemplifies what it means to be a physical warrior. So that is sort of the the fantasy behind it. Or at least as I see it. Uh, Also, our... uh, correction person will say just corrected me that his shield is not adamantine it's called vibranium yes please do not come at me (laughs) don't come at me i was corrected we will say in all capital letters that shield vibranium (laughs) that's what he just (laughs) sent me (laughs) husbands man let me tell you all right anyway they're great Uh, I also wanted to bring up, which this is a very similar thing to Captain America, but in Overwatch, you have Soldier 76, right? This Mm -hmm. idea of, is he kind of basic? Maybe. But he is the best at what he does. 
And so that idea of a fighter being, okay, yeah, do I hit things? Sure. But I hit them the best. And Although with any weapon. Soldier 76 uses a gun, though, right? He does. So that's more of a ranger, right? No. He's definitely mm-hmm. a soldier. He's okay. definitely a fighter. He's a soldier, but... No, he's a fighter. Rangers can be soldiers. He's not a ranger. He's definitely a fighter. Okay. I'll fight that. So let's She's get talking. Up her stick. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's get down into the nitty gritty. What in Pathfinder 2 do fighters get that makes them special boys? So one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was they are the only class that is trained in advanced weapon. What exactly would be advanced weaponry? There are certain like specialty weapons that are considered that. Let me get a list of them. Like wouldn't would goblin weapons be that sort of thing for they might someone be. who's not a goblin? Yeah. Now Chad's well, mostly correct. Does the dwarven war axe, the gnome flick mace the orc neck splitter, and those all have some sort of a uh, ancestry trait. And then, but sure. then there, there's the sawtooth saber, which mm-hmm. doesn't. And I'm sure as more books get released, more are going to be added to that advanced uh, weapon list. Did Gods and Magic have any new weapons like that? I was just going to ask about the bladed scarf. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. No, it's considered just a martial weapon. So, that's pretty cool. But yeah, in addition to simply being trained in advanced weapons, I think they're the only class that starts from first level being expert, having expert proficiency in simple, martial, and unarmed attacks. Mm Mm-hmm. They are. So, automatically, they're getting a higher bonus to hit. They're going to take that stick, and they're going to hit you with it. They're going to have an easier time hitting you with it. It's true. That's good. So, you can be a strength or dex. So, with your feet option, you're able to kind of pick what type of fighter you want to be. And focus on, you know, your weapon groups. They also get my absolute favorite ability of all, which is Attack of Opportunity. Uh, And then, of course, they also get Shield Block for those that are wield shield. But Attack of Opportunity, everyone else who even has access to it has to take a feat to get it, I do believe. Mm -hmm. Ooh, let me check the Barbarian. The Barbarian doesn't get it naturally, right? No, I don't think so. Let me just triple check. I know the champion has to choose it as a feat. Because Sunny did not choose to go with it. Poor Sunny. Nope. No, everyone else has to take a feat. But fighters just get it. They're just like, oh, you're going to walk away from me? No, I'm not. I'm going to hit you in the back of the head. Bonk. Um, Attack of opportunity is something I still think about. When I'm, when I'm <laughs> planning out, like, like 
strats in a combat. Uh-huh. Like, it seriously has me... The fact that it's not, like, as much of a thing in Pathfinder 2, to this day, throws me for a loop. And we've been playing for how many months? Almost a year. If you're not even counting um, playtest time. Oh, wow. And I still get tripped up about that, where I'm like, oh, I don't want to move. They're going to attack me. I better take a step action right here. Got to take Instead my step first. <laughs> I've yeah. managed to break myself of that somehow. Yeah, but that has lucky. unfortunately led to problems when I'm playing D&D, and everyone has attack of opportunity. And I forget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, other than that, the only really thing that they get sort of special is uh, the weapon mastery. So, weapon mastery is something where you pick a group of weapons and you're like, okay, everything in that group I'm going to get better with. So if it's a simpler martial, mm-hmm. you're going to now be a master. Where if it's an advanced, you're now an expert with that. You also get access to the critical specialization. So this all happens at level five. Everyone else has to take a feat to do that. Was it a group as in simple and martial weapons? Uh-uh. Or was it a group as in like. Flails. Um, flails and pole arms. Yeah, that, that kind of. Okay. And then in that group, so we'll use flail as the option, all of the simple and martial flails. Mm-hmm. Or you could take oh, okay. the brawling group, uh, which is, you know, f- beating people with your fists or, hey, if you're the dampier, you're bite attack. Bang. You really want to make a dampier? I mean, yeah. I don't know. They still haven't overtaken Shunies. Shunies are great. Um, like, who doesn't want to be a pug? Come on, people. I don't. I want to be a husky. Because I am husky. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I couldn't resist. Not forgiving you for that. You shouldn't. But yeah, uh, so they just, as they level up, continue to get better, right? Like, level 9, they get Juggernaut, uh, which puts their Fortitude up to Master. Uh, and then at level 19, so their Capstone of Ability, Versatile Legend. You're a fighter, you're literally a legend. <laughs> uh, your proficiency for uh, simple, martial, and unarmed attacks becomes legendary. And advanced is increased to mass. So, pretty great. You become an anime character at that point. Like, let's be real here. Become a legendary, yeah. <laughs> at, at that point, they're punching just as well as a monk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, that's level 19, so... That's, that's, you got a ways to go. They still don't get that 1d6 on a punch, though. They're still rolling d4s. 
I think. Unless I missed a feat. I mean, you'd have to take something, but um, actually, I have, I have a fighter in my Extinction Curse game that I'm running that uh, multiclassed and monk. So, uh, that's exactly what he did. That seems like the truest choice. <laughs> of course you say that. <laughs> uh, they also, I don't think we've talked about uh, bravery. So, on surface level, bravery increases your will save to expert at level 3. So, that's great, but like pretty, pretty standard. But you also get a, when you roll success on a fear effect, it becomes a critical success instead. And then if you fail, say you get frightened two. No, you don't. You only have frightened one. You get to reduce that frightened condition by one. Super and that's great. pretty great. So, like, you are literally the best at fighting. The thing that's going to make your fighter stand out and be different or specific to you as like most things comes down to feats. That's where you're going to be able to pick things like point blank shot. Now I'm an archer fighter. Or double slice. I'm a two weapon fighter. Um, snagging strike. It's a really cool feat, by the way. Um, which, okay, yes, I'm a fighter, but I also have maneuvers that I use. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to grapple people. This is where you get to really open it up. So what are some of the feats that you guys saw that kind of st stood out to you? Uh, there was a chain of them that I saw, and it's kind of a recurring theme in the in the fighter feats that like you'll take one early on and you'll gain more powerful ones mm -hmm. as you go. Right. But uh, it was Intimidating Strike, which is essentially you make an attack, but then that attack also frightens the uh, your enemy. Uh, but then the other two feats you can take later on can then use that fear to either, I think, make them like flat-footed after an attack or to... Um, you know, shove them around and maneuver them around the battlefield as you fight them. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. So it it and it seems to me that you know the the fighter can start off very simple and it you know it's just okay, do I hit, do I not hit? Here's my damage. But then you add these feats on top of it and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I hit, but I also hit and now I'm disarming. Now I'm making you afraid. Now I'm mm -hmm. Flat foot, you know, making you flat footed. Yeah, I agree. You become an expert of the battlefield. Yeah. So one of the one of the feats that I really liked was a uh, dueling parry, and then later uh, dueling repose. So with dueling parry, you you essentially have a shield. But it's your weapon. So wh whenever you take an action, it's one action cost. 
it's kind of like raising your shield, right? You get a plus two bonus to your AC. But then later, when you get access to repost, you get an a, a reaction that allows you to strike. Uh, so you make a melee strike, or you can attempt to disarm them. So that's pretty great. Of like, you can't hit me. It, it makes me a fencer, right? Yeah. Uh, so that that's pretty great. And that's something that's specific fighter. For me, it's double slice. But the reason why I love this so much, I love dual wielding. I love the idea of mm-hmm. dual wielding. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's interesting how double slice kind of, uh, it, it's almost a counterpoint to uh, actually the Rangers uh, feet twin takedown. Where twin takedown, you get to use one action to make two attacks. The second one takes the attack penalty in that. Mm-hmm. With double slice from fighter, you actually, it takes two actions, but neither one of those will take the attack penalty at the end. So you could... It's using whatever your current one is. Yes. So if you wanted to take your first two actions to do the double slice, you won't take any penalty to that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could use your your third action to either raise a shield or then go crazy and go for a third attack. But at that point, it would be at the third attack penalty. So, so the other thing, attack. the other thing I like about double slice is that you combine their damage, so that if you're trying to overcome damage resistance or uh, other, you know, things that reduce your damage. Well, you add them together now, you're not taking, say, it was five. You're not taking five off of both attacks. You you only take that five off uh, because you put them together once. Mm Mm-hmm. So doing some serious damage. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, it will say that if the second strike is made with a weapon that doesn't have the agile trait, it does take a negative two. So just make sure that you have agile weapons and then you're fine. Hmm. <laughs> Short swords for days. Yeah, they, they've got some really cool feats. And I, I agree with David that they do seem like chains, right? Like, okay, this obviously makes sense. I'm going to take this one. Then I'm, you know, I'm going to take uh, dueling parry. Then I'm going to take dueling repost. Then I'm going to take improved dueling repost because obviously. Mm. Um. You know, then I'm going to take guarding repose. They all kind of feed into each other. Same with the archer ones. Uh, I'm also noticing that several of these have the stance trait, which I think that Monk is the only one that has stances. Are they? I thought somebody else had stances too. Well, fighters definitely do. Yeah. So disarming stance, you have a single-handed weapon, and your other hand is free. Mm-hmm. So then you can adopt a stance to attempt to disarm with your offhand, essentially, any time that you make an attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stances for fighters and monks are pretty cool. And in each, they, they kind of have different feels to them, right? The stances that they have access to. Well, definitely. I know all, you know, all of the ones for the monk was just, you know, 
make this certain unarmed attack, and then you know here's a bonus to your AC or a you know a difference on your movement, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So one of the like level twenty ultimate feats that you can take is ultimate flexibility. Uh, you gain three fighter feats instead of one. That's pretty powerful. So the first feat must be 8th level or lower, the second is 14th or level lower, and then the third feat can be 18th. So essentially you're trading your level 20 feet, but you get three spread out amongst your level. I don't know. Weapon Supremacy, also a level 21, sounds freaking ridiculous. Basically, you permanently have the quicken condition on, so you can use an extra action every round only to strike. Yeah, it is limiting because it is only to strike, but also when you're going to need it, that's, you know, that's when you're going to need it. You could try to raise your shield more often and therefore still get your usual amount of attacks in. Mm -hmm. You could try to position yourself better and still get your regular amount of attacks. (laughs) Yeah. Or you could just go, you know, what, dual wielding, take a bunch of freaking, like, four attacks on the guy and get, like, negative 15 penalty to it. I I don't think you can actually get negative 15. Uh... So I do I do want to backtrack just for one second because we did forget to talk about one thing. And that's combat flexibility. Since we're talking about feats, we should definitely talk about combat flexibility. So this is an ability you get at level 9 as a fighter where while your wizard is picking his spells for the day, <laughs> you're picking what feat you want to take. So when I was talking about you picking three, that's Mm. what you do here. You pick three instead of just one in your combat flexibility. Now, you still have to meet the requirements for it, but that's pretty great. Like, if you know you're going to be fighting this type of enemy this day, just like a wizard is preparing the spells that's going to help that enemy, the fighter's doing the same thing. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. The other thing, because we haven't really talked too much in this dis- in these dis- class discussions about skill feats, I wanted to mention toughness because it, it's something that I think a lot of classes, not just fighter, but obviously fighters take it too, are going to take where you get extra hit points. So you increase your maximum HP. But then when you're dying and you're making recovery checks, it's nine plus your dying condition. So, I mean, every little bit helps, right, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a flat it, check, so. Mm-hmm. That yeah, and it, it is a level one feat, and I just know everyone, like a lot of people take that. Getting to add your level to HP is pretty good. Even when you have, uh, what is the D10? Yeah, D10 plus your constitution modifier. 
another section that was kind of harder for me to think about was what ancestries fit with fighters. And I, I had struggled with this because, like in WoW, everybody's going to have fighters. Goblins. Goblin works. Goblins are You're the just clear saying winners. that because um, <laughs> is the Sarah's not here. <laughs> I mean, yes. But it is also the truth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The only thing that I find, if you're truly, like we say, you know, maximizing your potential, I would stay away from strength negatives. But if you're going for an archer build, pick an elf, you know what I mean? Like, everybody is going to be at least decent at fighter. There's no terrible option. I will say, and uh, David might fight me on this, I think that humans are more of a meh option in this case. Every, you know, every episode, it's, oh, humans, but humans are boring. There's nothing more boring in terms of a fantasy game than a human than a human fighter. fighter. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, well, also, I I just think that only getting the plus two to two stats, fighters do have sort of this want to be really good at a lot of things, right? Like having a high strength is usually pretty good. Having a high dex usually pretty good. Having a high charisma or constitution. Yeah, I want those hit points. And finally, you know, if you want the skill points, you're not dumping intelligence. I know a lot of people talk about dumb fighters. Fighters are some of the smartest people you'll know. Mm -hmm. Other than wizards, obviously. But yeah, I, I think a lot of them end up actually dumping charisma. Because wisdom, they want the perception. Charisma is so a like, dump stat? What? Who yeah. needs to be nice? <laughs> who needs to be Definitely. nice? At least for a lot of fighters, absolutely. Uh, so I, I just think that, yes, if you want to roll a human fighter, I think you can do it great. And that is the iconic. He is a uh, variant, is a human fighter. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> like... You better no. sprinkle a lot of flavor on that character. Yeah, I agree. I'm I sure agree. they have. Oh, I'm sure. You do what you want, guys. We're not here telling you what you should and shouldn't do. You do what's fun. Play a champion. Here, I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to Chad. Magical fighter. Play a magical fight, Dude, paladins don't even get access to magic. What are you talking they can. about? They divine. They gotta fighter. feed into that. <laughs> there you go. Divine fighter. Lastly, I kind of want to talk about the evolution of a fighter <laughs> between first and second edition. Guys, this is hard. I'm just gonna lay it out there. It was hard because fighters in first edition were already getting extra feats. So now everybody's getting extra feats. They had to make it so that they could, you know, change their feats up and stuff. But uh, a couple of the, the changes that I saw that I felt were most noticeable 
even in a class that I didn't feel changed a lot. It's fighters. It's changed a lot. We are now trained in uh, reflex. We're actually, at first level, you get expert in reflex. In first edition, that was never the case. You're, you had a good fortitude save, then you had a bad reflex and a bad will save. So I'm actually excited to see that fighters are expert in both fortitude and reflex now. That makes me happy. They also, I- instead of just getting weapon training, they became uh, really good at wearing armor. So they still kind of have that. It's not called armor training, um, but you your proficiency in armor does go up as you love. Mm. And then, uh, like I mentioned, a lot of those feet trees that you have in first edition, they've been renamed. Um, and I would say that they're not as intense you know, you got some feet trees in first edition that were really long. None of them here, at least not yet, are, you know, well, you have to take this and you have to take it at that level, or you aren't going to be able to take the next feet at level, you know, six or whatever. Like, there's a lot more flexibility, even within those feet trees that we're talking about. They've just always been feet focused from first edition to second. You know, when you're changing over to a system that's pretty focused on feats anyway, you know, you're you're fine. It's a good introductory class, even if you're experienced in Pathfinder one. Yeah, I agree. Anything else you guys want to say about the fighter? Play a champion. No, play a fighter. <laughs> play a monk. Look. Oh my gosh. So uh, in a game that I'm running right now, I have two fighters. One I'm of sorry. them is a human fighter. I'm just now realizing that. He's definitely going to listen to this episode too. Pudge. No, actually, I will say, uh, so it, we're, this is an extinction curse. He built a strong man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, okay. I, I'm okay. Like, that's enough cre- creativity for me. he's he's not boring, and also he wants to change to mom. <laughs> <laughs> but my other my other fighter has kind of built themselves up to be almost a rogue. I would say they definitely use that dueling parry a lot. That's why I wanted to bring that up. Oh, you're also a human fighter. Oh. My husband is also playing a human fighter. Hmm. Guys, I don't know what to tell you. This isn't boding well. Oh. No. Oh he he is um he it, it's it's a really fun group. And so it works. Uh but again, you do what you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you want to play a human fighter, I got two of them. Like you do what you want, guys. Build the concept you want. Sometimes you gotta hit stuff with a stick. It's <laughs> it's just how it is. It's just how it is. Alright, so in order to kind of round out our discussion on fighters, 
I want to talk about magic gear and loot. And this is definitely not because I got stuff wrong in a recent episode of our playthrough of Ages of Ashes. Never. Definitely not because I messed that up. Impossible. It went to Pathfinder 1 rules and not Pathfinder 2. Nope. Definitely I knew what I was talking How dare someone speak against you in such manner? Exactly. We will strike them down. Don't worry, guys. I got corrected. (laughs) But yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Um, (laughs) So weapons and magic weapons work just a little bit differently than they used to. And so I thought we'd talk about it. If you insist. I wanted to first mention a pain point from the playtest, which is how you invest in magical arms and armor and what happened to resonance. Resonance? Oof. That's a callback. Right? <laughs> now, if all of you listening to my wonderful voice know, know nothing about Pathfinder 2 and only remember from the playtest, this may be a reason why you decided you didn't want to play it. Resonance was based off your charisma and was how many magic weapons you, or magic items, including potions, that you could use in a day. Well, that is obviously no more. We're over that. But there is still a limit in how many uh, magic items you can have on you at one time. And and be able to you. Would you base that off of charisma? That I mean, that was in the playtest. I, I get that, but why? That was the question on the forums over and over and over again. Why? Why? I why? think it was an attempt to make charisma not a dump stat. Didn't we just talk about how charisma is a dump stat for a lot of people? I think that that was to try to make something based off of every primary trait. But it just didn't work. So if your magic item has the invested trait, you can only have 10 invested each day. To be honest, this is not going to come up until you're in the higher levels of play. And even then, I think that it's going to be pretty rare. But just understand... You get 10 invested items. That's it. No more. And it's not based off of anything. So, in order to sort of activate an item that is invested, a lot of times you'll see things that have the activate trigger on it. Uh, so this could be a auditory command. This could be, a like, a mental command. Like, envisioning, okay, I need this item to do this thing now. It could be an interact action. Or it could be, in some cases, like casting a spell. Yeah, I, th- I think the, uh, hand of the mage that, uh we had picked up has both the envision and interact um, 
So it's, and it seemed to sort of mirror like the somatic and verbal that you'd have if you're casting the spell. Mm-hmm. But it had both of those types of actions attached to that, to the casting of that spell. Nice. Yeah. It, well, and how many times can you activate it in a day? Uh, there's no limit, as far as I know. It's just Mage Hand. So Mage Hand's just a simple tool type thing. So. Is it a cantrip? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's and, probably and, why. And it's just a matter of, like, you know, moving something of, like, light bulk, mm-hmm. like, up to 20 feet. So there are going to be items that have limited activations, right? So there may be a staff you have that once per day you can cast a spell. Well, you know, activating that is going to take whatever activate actions. And then once that action is over, once the uh, activation is complete, now for some things you can sustain it, but other than that, once it's done, it's done. And then, you know, the next day, you'll have another activation. So the last sort of uh, kind of special thing I wanted to talk about before we get into, like, plus ones, potency, that kind of thing, uh, are runes that you can actually put on your arms and armor. Yeah. And these runes... To, depending on what type of effect they're going for, uh, give you different things. So, runes are something that are etched into a weapon. There are two types. You have your fundamental runes and your uh, property runes. So, you have armor potency and then resilient armor. These are your fundamental rooms. And then you have weapon potency and striking room. Then you have property room. And these do special things, like extra fire damage. It's a poison weapon, that kind of stuff. But potency is going to give you your item bonus to attack rolls. Right? Mm-hmm. It's going to increase your AC. It's going to determine the number of property runes you can even have. And when you see something that's a plus one weapon or a plus one armor, that plus one is its potency room. And this is what I had gotten wrong, was because I thought, oh yeah, that adds to damage too. No. It doesn't. That's striking. When you have a plus one striking weapon, you get a plus one to your attack rolls. But then your damage isn't just increased by one. No, it increases by one damage die. So that was something I had to learn. I didn't, I didn't, no, I was very bad about that. Oh, and then that that plus one to damage and, you know, plus two and three as it goes up. That was also how it worked in 5e, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very different um, to how I've dealt with it in other role-playing games. 
not bad, just different. And so, uh, whenever, you know, I'm not sure about something, I should just take the time and, and look it up. I do like some of the property runes that you can put on things. Like, sure, you have flaming, frost, and shock, like things you've always been able to. Uh, but there's a <laughs> there's a property rune you can put on there called Bloodbane. Let me send this to you guys, because I just saw this. This is really cool. So when you put this, it it it, it specifically is etched onto dwarven clan daggers. And when you do this, whatever is an ancestral uh, enemy of the clan of dwarves, they take persistent bleed damage. That's some. That's a fun effect. Yeah. Now you can also get this in a greater effect. A lot of the um, property runes have like their normal. Sometimes they'll even have a lesser version, and then they'll have the greater effect. And just in order to get that cast, one, you have to be of the appropriate level, and two, you have to be able to pay. So, in terms of a few other. Magical equipments. Was there anything else you guys wanted to say about magic arms and armor? Did I miss anything? Uh, I I just had a couple of uh, the runes that I that I liked. You know, beyond just the fire and lightning damage. Yeah. So there's the uh, weapon property rune shifting. Uh, you can use an interact action, and you can essentially change the form of that melee weapon into it, another weapon that requires this, it says requires the same number of hands to hold. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I think you could, you know, switch it between something that would be like a D4 if it's more useful in one situation or a D6 damage die weapon if it, you're looking for damage output. I could see a fighter doing that. Switching a weapon between all of the things in one group uh, for the different tags that they have and the different things that a fighter could do with specific weapons. Right. That's kind of cool. I also get this really, and this, again, maybe a little anime, but, like, this old guy carrying a staff and, like, some bullies come to pick on him and he's like, oh, no, and then turns into a bastard sword and he beats the crap out of him. <laughs> that is a pretty cool rune. I like that. Yeah, I I had the thought of maybe doing that with my wizard, but then again, my wizard can't use that many different weapons. So I was about to say, what can you use? Uh, stabs, stabs, and daggers and clubs. That's that's it. Multi class and the champion. I, I definitely want to see a wizard banging on some stuff with a club. That's just not something I've seen before. Come on, man. Go champion of Nethus. You can do it. <laughs> the the other the other uh weapon rune that I liked is dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a 
well-known spell in, in 5e that's similar to this. But essentially, you turn your weapon into... A, it, it can move around on its own. It moves mm-hmm. out of your hand and it can move on its own and then attack as, you know, just like another character. It'd be really cool if you could get your weapon to flank with you. <laughs> I believe it, it's specific. Yeah, it says it does not benefit from no. or provide flanking. It doesn't, but that would be cool. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the fact that you can have a spell storing rune. So, essentially, you cast a third level spell or lower into the weapon, and then you you get that spell. You can unleash that as a single action. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, store up a, say, a three-action summon animal. Now you have it on a, a one. I had looked at that, but then thought, oh, it's, you know, it's still going to be how many actions, whatever, to, to cast it. But yeah, if, if you can, you know, even turning a, a single two-action spell down to one, mm-hmm. that's worth it. Yeah. And could you, like, the night before store a really high-level spell into the weapon, and then take a long rest. Next day, you have all your spell slots left and still use that without... You wouldn't have to use up one of your high-level spell mm-hmm. slots. It doesn't say that you have to use it that same day. And when you find these, usually they have... A, it says that they have a 50% chance of having a spell already in them. So yeah, absolutely. You could cast it the, the day before and then still have that spell, spell slot. Now, I will say that is a level 13 item. So you're right. not finding that anytime soon. And it's also listed as uncommon, so you gotta ask, ask your GM very nicely. I, I have we'll brought never, you many Starbucks. <laughs> oh, never mind. Starbucks? <laughs> this, this basic biter is all in on that. <laughs> I will bring you so many gift cards. Oh my gosh, Give you guys have item. no idea. I haven't <laughs> had Starbucks in three months. Oh. You made me real sad. I want me some lemon loaf. All right. Anyway, see, I'm I'm that way about the uh, local ramen place. I'm like, oh, I just want some freaking spicy tonkatsu. I'm dying here. Are you talking about um, Boru? No, I'm talking about uh, Ayama ramen. Mm. So Boru does uh road uh takeout yeah. now. And so all you have to just drive there and they'll pick it up or you pick it up. That rum is so good. Oh my gosh, so good. But that's a bit of a drive for you all. And off topic. Jasmine Jasmine Pavilion opened back up, so we've been pretty happy picking up Chinese. There's no good Chinese places around me. Alright, anyway, well now I'm sad. <laughs> so there are a couple of other equipment items that are magical in nature, but aren't runes, right? And there aren't, you know, just a leather armor with a cool rune on it. Mm-hmm. And that would be uh, talismans. And then we're also going to talk about wands and uh, scrolls. So talismans are something that are uh, newer, uh, new to Pathfinder 2. So that's really cool. And if you follow our 
playthrough of Age of Ashes, you will we've talked about finding a few of these uh, talismans before, but these are items that are actually affixed to your armor, but are removable uh, or arms, arms or armor. So, like in Age of Ashes, we found an owl bear claw. I think. Uh, yes, I think we did at some point. I may be getting confused with a different game, so correct me if I'm wrong on Facebook. But you affix it to a weapon, but it is also consumable. So the moment that you use it, it's now just a decorative item. Uh, same with the monkey pin that Jesse found. Uh, so that's something that you affix to your armor, but as soon as you've used it once, it's consumed. You don't have that anymore. So there are talismans that are like higher level, but they're all going to be consumable items. Are they all single use or are they are some of them more I like think hey, so. three or four uses? No, I think they're all single use items. I haven't come across one yet that's multiple. I mean it, it says it in the description as a general case that they're all single use items. Mm-hmm. Now, later books, there may be a special case, but for right now, that's how they are. But this allows you to have something that will give you a special effect, but isn't overwhelmingly expensive. Because that's the thing about runes, right? That you put on a weapon, they're pretty pricey. Where these talismans are relatively cheap. You know, the most expensive one, which you can't even get it until level 17, is 2,000 gold. Well, at level 17, you're rolling in money, right? But at first level, you have access to things that are only three gold pieces or four gold pieces. So, talismans are kind of a, a cool way of like, okay, we're in town, we're preparing for a dungeon delve. Let's pick up a couple of things that are situational, but could really, we could really benefit. I really like the sneaky key. You become expert in thievery. For one minute. Mm-hmm. Certain Ashka could really use that. I think she's already expert. <laughs> oh. Well, then a certain Nigel could really use that. Yeah, Nigel needs that more than Ashka does. <laughs> That's hilarious. So then, obviously, we have um, wands and scrolls. These are, again, one-use items. Uh, well, spell uh, scrolls are typically one-use items that you cast off of, you know, a spell maybe you don't have access to. You can cast it from a scroll. And then wands usually have charges. So, kind of in between a one-use talisman and a permanent rune. And now scrolls, scrolls you have to have the spell on your own uh, spell list, right? To to cast it, it, yes. It has to be on your spell list. Uh, Um, What about wands, though? No, you can just cast them. Sweet. There you go. It, Easy way now it your... is a once a day, once yeah. once a day cast. But again, it 
it doesn't have charges. Yeah. Thank it. Aren't you able, I could be mixing things up, aren't you able to uh, recharge those charges like during a long rest? Some You don't have to. That? Because it, it doesn't have charges. I was wrong about that. It's nope. you cast it once a day, and like that spell is is good. Huh. Now you can overcharge a wand. You have to make a DC ten flat check. It either becomes broken or destroyed. I want it to become broken or destroyed. Yeah, that stinks. Right. Well, well don't overcharge your wand. That's that's uh, that's one way for your fighter to multi-class into wizard. Just give him a wand. Don't overcharge. Avoid your warranty. <laughs> yeah, and they're reasonably cheap. So finally, we have one of what I think is the coolest. Now, this was added in the world guide. And I imagine we're going to get some uh, new stuff on this, too. But you can have magic tattoos. So the one in the world guide is specifically a divine tattoo. Uh, Excuse me, a blessed tattoo. So you can activate the tattoo when you are attempting a saving throw against a demon ability. You can also, or it's triggered when that happens, you can also use it uh, to gain the effect of protection against evil. So I really am hoping that they come out with more uh, spell tattoos. Because that is just cool. And uh, Tattooed Sorcerer was an archetype from 1st edition that I really liked. Um, Like, would they just tattoo spells onto their skin and then hey activate well, this could... tattoo and fireball yeah kind of oh, i love that yeah uh obviously the game master guide had additional rules for the creation of magic weapons um one of the things that i've been playing around with is relics relics are really cool uh and they kind of level up as as you level up so that's neat um you can also get intelligent weapons uh, and cursed weapons. Uh, David had a, the idea of an intelligent weapon that I also think is cursed. <laughs> it, you know what? Intelligent, cursed, it, it just depends how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. So picture this. It's a sword that feels bad for injuring creatures and is constantly apologizing for it. Oh no, I'm so sorry I stabbed you. Are you bleeding? We need a medic over here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hate it, and no. Give it to Sunny. Give it to Sunny. We'll have two characters apologizing at the same time. <laughs> Bad character. No. <laughs> just just absolutely hate it. That's f- physical scars on your enemy and also emotional and mental scars. Why is both this warrior and their weapon apologizing after they stabbed him? Oh my gosh. Now Hate I, it. I, now I feel like the bad one. <laughs> oh I'm so sorry that I let you hit me. Oh, three characters nope. apologizing. Nope. Over it. Done with that. I think that is where we're going to leave it tonight. 
What do you guys think about the fighter? I know, Chad, you you want to keep going. I, I kind of just want to roll up a, a fighter now. Well, hey, are they as lame as you thought they were? No. Honestly, I didn't actually think they were lame. I, I, they're boring, but not lame. They're not boring. <laughs> they're they just can, the best at hit. Can they definitely do a go hit. make yourself a Sword Art Online character. Go for it, people. Wow. <laughs> Nerd. Mm. What about you, David? You think anything different about the fighter now? I mean, they they do have a lot of really cool feats built into it. It's like you can mm-hmm. you can really customize and make an interesting fighter, but you're still just a person with a weapon. Which, I mean, sure, it's completely viable in any fantasy based system. But you could also have magic. Play a monk. Yeah, you can play a monk. They're way cooler. You can punch stuff and use weapons and cast key spells. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You guys. I, I think the fighter is very versatile. And I think that is its strength. Because it is not only able to I mean, rogues are more versatile off the field. That's where their strength is. But on the field, that's where the fighters versatile. They can choose all sorts of different paths to take there. And that's very useful for a team. Mm-hmm. But beyond the battlefield, it's just... Yeah. So go roll up a fighter. It's super exciting. Especially a human fighter. Oh, jeez. What? You guys are just hating human fighters. That's what's happening. It's just hate. Hate. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, and if you liked what you hit, listened to today, please actually go try out a fighter. I'm sure that they're actually interesting for other people to play. And as always, remember, dice don't die. But fighter characters do. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.